0: Open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter number 4. Just one verse for our consideration for the moment. 1 John chapter number 4 and our text this morning is found in verse number 10. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Mm-hmm. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Christmas story has captured the attention of the world as absolutely nothing else. It even changed the calendar of the world. There has never been any event that has had such worldwide attention. It's been told in a lot of different ways. It's been told in sermon. Down through all of these many years, there have been uh, gifted preachers that have crafted messages that have described nearly every small detail of the Christmas story. And it's a blessing to be able to to hear the story related by, by such means. Also, we find the Christmas story has been told in song. And uh, we, we this morning have sang several songs that relate to the Christmas story. We, we do that every year, and, uh, and it does us good to stop and to think about the, the gift that God gave to us. The Christmas story has been expressed in in poems, plays, books, even movies. There's even a movie by that title, Christmas Story. But I doubt there has ever been uh, told any better than what we see in this verse. Here is a very short but serious uh, story of what Christmas is. All about. Now notice, that there's no mention here of the virgin birth. There's no mention of Bethlehem, shepherds, angels, or the wise men, or any of those things that we generally associate with Christmas. But yet the very essence of Christmas is captured here in this one brief verse. We see here the nature of God. We see here the need of man and God's willingness to meet that need, God's ability to meet that need, we learn that God is love. We learn that God loves us, and that God has proven His love by providing our greatest need. It says that He sent His Son. That's the Christmas story in a nutshell, and uh, in this we see that which sets Christianity apart from all of the other religions of the world. This is what makes our religion, the true religion, different than anything that man has ever made. Now, I want you to notice several things about the Christmas story as it's told here in this verse. Notice here the declaration of God's love. It says, He loved us, down through the years, there have been many great declarations. There have been declarations of war. There have been declarations of a ceasefire. There have been the declaration of independence and all different kinds of declarations in history. But none of those can even begin to compare to the declaration that we see here. In the first place, what makes this so wonderful is this declaration is true. You know, we go through life and we hear a lot of things that sound good, a lot of things that, you know, that raises our hopes and our expectations, but uh, then the bottom line is we come to find out they're not true at all. But that's not the case here. When the Bible says something, you can mark it down, you can take it to the bank, it is 100% true. You can believe what the Bible says because it is without error. Because of that, I can stand here today and with this old black book I hold in my hand, I can have complete confidence that anything I read out of this book is going to be 100% true. And whenever it says here that He loved us, you can believe it, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you've been told, regardless of what you might think, based on the things that you see in the world. It might be that you've gone through some terribly difficult time. You've had a horrible experience. And because of that, you might have come to that Prefaces in your mind to where you, you just feel like you're going off of the cliff. You feel like that your whole world is coming to an end, that, that there is no hope, and, and it seems like God is a thousand miles off, and that He either doesn't know or He doesn't care, one of the two, because you seem to have been forgotten in all of it. Let me remind you of what the Bible says. You can't depend on your feelings. You can't depend on what somebody else tells you, but you can depend upon the Bible. And whenever it says that he loves you, you mark it down, he loves you. It's true, but it's not, listen, it's not just true, it's tremendous. You see, there are a lot of things that are true, but they're not tremendous. It might be you can have an earthquake or a tornado or experience bankruptcy or cancer or, or whatever else. And you could, you know, look at the situation and say, well, that's true. That is a fact. There's no doubt about it. It's true, but there's nothing tremendous about it. But when we think about the love of God, it's true and it's tremendous also. And, and what what greater message could we hear than that? The fact that God loves us. What greater thought could occupy our mind? What could be more thrilling to think about than God's love for us? You know, it's a wonderful thing to be loved, but to be loved by God? I mean, that is tremendous. That is beyond what we can even comprehend. And there's nothing more amazing than God's grace. Now, think about this phrase for a moment. It says he loved us and, and notice, sent his son. Look at the word he. We're talking about the one who is holy and just. Brother Kenneth and I was talking this morning about the Sunday school lesson for today that has to do with knowing God. And, and one of the main things we need to know about God is that God is a holy God. And you keep that in mind. A holy God. Notice it says loved us and i don't care who you are that word us there speaks of those that are sinful and vile and filthy and unworthy undeserving of anything from god and yet it says he loved us that's tremendous because that word us includes every person. I, regardless of who they are or what they've done, doesn't make any difference. God loves us. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. But But keep this personal also. God doesn't just love the world in general. God loves you. You are the object of God's love. And let me tell you, you might live without a lot of things in life there are some people that have to live nearly all of their life in poor health they were born with some physical problems and all of their life they have to fight that battle there are others that were born in situations to parents that that have not taken care of them in all of their life they have had to fight against the circumstances and the difficulties brought on by being raised in a family like that. But let me tell you, there's no one who will ever live without having been loved. You'll never be unloved. You have been loved since the day that you were born, and you'll be loved every day of your life. That's why this is tremendous. God loves the world. Sure He does. But God loves you. God loves me. It's tremendous. It's true. But not only that, it's timeless. You see, God not only loved us. Notice that's in the past tense. God loved us. And and listen, it's in the past tense because it's written there in reference to something that God has done, but it doesn't mean that God loved us, but now, you know, He he might not. There's no question about this whatsoever, and we have all of the Word of God to substantiate that. He not only loved us, He continues to love us. His love is constant. His love is everlasting. Now, look, God's not always pleased with the things that we do. There are a lot of times that we do things that are not pleasing in the sight of God. And it might even be that there are times that God has to chastise us in order to correct us. It is for our good and it's out of His love. And there are times that even for reasons unknown to us, that God will allow His own children to be subjected to terrible hardships in this life. Things that we don't understand and God doesn't give an explanation. He's not talking and we can't figure it out and we wonder why God would let this happen to me. But regardless of all of that, the one thing that we can be certain of is that regardless Of the circumstances, God loves us. His love for us is not conditional. It's not based on what we do, who we are, what we have, or anything else. It's based on God himself, the character of God. God is love. It's in his very nature. And as a result of that, God loves us. And we need to be mindful of that fact constantly every day of our life because it's this assurance of God's love that gets us through the toughest times in life. After all, that's the thing that motivates us to serve God. We don't serve God because of, uh, you know, that we get get a salary for it. Well, we don't serve God because we get our name in lights or because it's the popular thing to do. We serve God however it is that you serve, whatever it is that you do, whether you're the pastor of a church or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or working in the sound room, driving a bus, teaching a class, whatever it is that you do, you do it because you love God. That's what motivates you to serve Him. Not only that, but it it enables you to endure the hard trials of life. You you know, you can go through almost anything whenever you know that it's for your good and God's glory. When you know that God loves you, even though He's allowing you to go through that, and that, that awareness of His love enables you to get through those tough times in life. It'll keep you faithful when you feel like quitting. Uh, over the years i 've heard some preachers, especially during a Bible conference or something you know where they 're trying to pump everybody up and sound super spiritual and get everybody excited and i i 've heard them brag about you know i 've never been tempted to quit well you know, they had probably hadn't been preaching six months <laughs> you know give them a little bit of time, and the time will come they'll you know they'll they 'll feel like throwing in the towel. They'll feel like what's the use, doesn't matter, For, you know, whatever the reason is. And, and regardless of who you are, there'll come some time in your life, you, you know, that you'll, you'll just feel like quitting. You, you'll feel like giving up. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminds you of the greatness of God's love. And, and how do you quit on a God like that? You don't. You can't quit on a God like that. And and listen, it'll, it'll keep you going during those tough times when you want to quit. Listen, it'll keep you from getting bitter. When we are aware of God's love, and it's kind of like you hear me say so many times, the person that deserves a hanging should not complain about a beating. Now think about that for a little while. And when I realized that I don't deserve anything whatsoever, but yet God loved me in that while I was yet a sinner. He didn't say whenever you get better. He, he didn't tell me, look, if you get out of the bar rooms, if you will go back to your family, if you will take care of your family, if you'll be a good neighbor, if you'll do this, if you'll do that, I'll love you and I might even take you to heaven. He, he didn't say that. No. He, he just loved me just exactly like I was, the old wretched drunk that I was, and God loved me nevertheless. Now, how, listen, how do you get bitter at a God like that who loves you unconditionally, you see? Amen? And, and, and let me tell you another thing about why you need to remember God's unconditional love, and that is because it'll give you hope even whenever you know that you've sinned. You have failed God. And we all at some point in time uh, fail, don't we? I mean, if you think you don't, you've got some serious spiritual problems. We all fail God. But the wonderful thing about it is every time that we fail God, we can remember that although this is not pleasing to God, although God may have to chastise me in order to correct me, God never did stop loving me through all of this. And that gives us hope. You know, a lot of times the devil tries to tell us whenever we fail, look, you might as well quit. You might as well, you know, might as well drop out of church. You don't want to go back there and embarrass yourself. You might as well give up. Nobody trusts you anymore. People don't like you anymore. He'll give you all kinds of excuses why you ought to quit. And then you'll remember that God loves me. But God, that means that we have hope. I'm trying to get you to see that God's love is true, it's tremendous, it's timeless, but it's also transforming. And by, by that, I mean, listen, a lot of people got the idea that we become Christians by making changes in our life. The fact of the matter is, we're not saved because we change. We are changed because we are saved. Now, I want to emphasize the fact that we are changed. Not that we change because we are saved, but we are changed. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does in our life as a believer, and He changes us. It has a transforming effect upon us. Now, notice not only this declaration that is true and tremendous and timeless and transforming. Notice the demonstration you know, to make a declaration is one thing, but when you have a demonstration to back it up, that's another thing. And here's the demonstration. God loved us and noticed, and He sent His Son. Now that tells me God is not all talk and no show. God declared His love and God demonstrated His love. God proclaimed His love and God has proven His love. In other words, there's no reason for us to ever doubt the love of God because He's given us all of the evidence that we need. Look in verse 16 of chapter 3. Hereby perceive we. In other words, this is the way that we see it. This is the way that we understand. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. I mean, there it is. It couldn't be clearer. There is this demonstration of God's love in that He laid down His life. He gave His Son. Now we think about all of the ways that God has expressed His love for us. We know that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We see evidences of God's love, you know, every day in every way in our life. You know, God takes care of those that are thankful and unthankful, the godly and the ungodly, and God is good to all. And we see these evidences of God's love, but we never see it more clearly than we when we look to Calvary because it was there on the cross that He gave His Son. God loved us, notice, and He sent His Son but the end of the question is, why in the world would God allow His own dear Son, the only one who was ever perfect, why, why would God allow such cruel suffering to happen to Him? We'll look at verse number nine. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, now here it is, that we might live through Him. That word manifested means to come out into the open. It means to be made public. In other words, God put His love on display. He made it public. He manifested His love. He's telling us that God's love isn't hidden. He revealed His love by giving His Son. And why did He do it? That we might live through Him. You see, by nature, we're all spiritually dead. Doesn't make any difference how many churches you're a member of. Doesn't make any difference how many good works you do or anything else. If you've never been born again, you are spiritually dead. And by that, I mean you are disconnected. You are separated from God Himself. And being in a condition like that, the only hope that we have is in Christ. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So here we see this demonstration of the thing that God declared, but notice the deliverance that comes as a result of it. He says here that God loved us. God sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Now, this tells us why spiritual life is possible. This word perpetuation actually means mercy seat, or it means satisfaction. And, and I know it's, you know, a big sounding, technical sounding word that, you know, seems so difficult, but in reality it's very simple because this is what it means. It means that which God did to make forgiveness possible. It has nothing to do with what we do. It has to do with what God did to make forgiveness possible. And those that are experts in in the language tell us that these words here, to be, is actually not in the original, and I'm certainly not an expert. The whole point is that He is the perpetuation for our sins. In other words, He is not just the... He's not just the... Because of it, in other words, He is the one that actually is the perpetuation. He is the sacrifice that was needed in order that sinful man can be reconciled to God. He is the one that made forgiveness possible. Now listen, if we're spiritually dead by nature, then it stands to reason our greatest need is what? Spiritual life, right? I mean, if we're dead, do we need life. The problem is a dead person can't make himself alive. I could go out to the cemetery this afternoon, I could stand there, I could open the Bible and just me and all of those graves. I could preach the best sermon I've ever preached in all of my life. I could preach a sermon you know, where every single word I said was true. I could scream, I could yell, I could beg, I could cry. I I could do everything humanly possible to help those people. And yet, there would be absolutely no result whatsoever. Because those people are dead. And they do not have the means within themselves to make themselves alive. Water can't produce fire can it darkness can't produce light and, and neither can death create life. And so the only the only hope for people that are dead is a source of life. And that source of life, of course, is, is Christ. He is our life. And as a result, as a result of who he is and what he can do And He quickens us, and we, you know, the Lord. Whenever He said to Nicodemus, "They must be born again," He's talking about a new birth, a spiritual birth. Nicodemus didn't understand. He said, "How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born?" And Jesus had to explain that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Look, we're not talking about a fleshly birth, and we're not talking about physical life. We're talking about a spiritual birth and spiritual life, and there's only one source for that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's something else about this Christmas story that we need to remember, and that is the difference that it makes. Because, you know, so many times we look at this and we think about trusting Christ as our Savior and how wonderful it's going to be. Our sins have been forgiven. We're going to miss hell. We're going to make heaven. It's going to be so wonderful. And and for some way or another, we forget about the immediate impact on our lives. In other words, we're so caught up with the sweet by and by, we forget about the nasty now and now and the fact that we've still got to live here on this earth. Let me tell you, when the Lord saves you, He not only cleanses you, He also changes you. He makes you a new creature. He makes you somebody that you've never been before. That means that now, as a result of receiving spiritual life, that He enables you to do what you formerly could not do. And you know, we could just stand here and elaborate on all of the changes that the Lord makes. you know the drunk could say yeah he he you know he he delivered me from alcohol, the drug he could say he delivered me from drugs, and on and on we you know we could just explore every possible avenue of, of the changes that the Lord makes in our life, but we can also sum it up in two categories that covers everything you remember in Matthew chapter 22, where the Lord was talking about, you know, someone asking him about the first and the great commandment. Well, you know, whenever you hear somebody talking like that, you, you already know that they're looking for some, some out. They're looking for some excuse to do something they shouldn't do. And, and so they, they asked the Lord, well, you know, what's the first of the great commandment? And he said, well, the first great commandment is what? To love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And, but he said the second is likened to the first, and that is that you love, that you love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the Lord summed up all of our responsibility in two areas. Number one, that we love God. Think about that for a while. Because let me tell you, listen, we'll never, we'll never ever in all of our life be the person God wants us to be until we love God. And you'll never love God until you come to know Christ as your Savior. You can know all about the Lord. You can know that He was born of a virgin. You can know that he lived a virtuous life, he died a vicarious death, he was buried in the grave, he arose victorious over the grave, you can believe he's coming back again and all of those things, and yet, and not be a Christian, not have spiritual life, because knowing all of the facts, giving your mental assent to the historical facts is not the thing that changes you, it is the work of the Spirit of God that gives you this spiritual life. And then it says that the Holy Spirit says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The Holy Spirit, as it were, infuses us with a love that enables us to love God. You look. Somebody says, well, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I sure love the Lord. No, you don't. You can't. You don't love the Lord until you become a Christian. There's no way to ever possibly love God until first of all you trust Christ as your Savior. That that means regardless of whatever else you do in life, you know, you can you can give away a fortune to to help the homeless. You can attend absolutely every church service. You can work your fingers to the bone. You can do everything, you know, that, that is pleasing to other people. But you'll never be the person you need to be To first of all, you love God. And when that happens, automatically as a result of that, we begin to love others. Notice in verse number 19, it says, we love Him because, why? Because He first loved us. But notice back in verse 11, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You see, a right relationship with God enables us to have a right relationship with others. And it's only in Christ that we find the ability to love other people. Remember that God loves us how? Unconditionally. No strings attached. He just loves us just as we are, and He proved it by giving His Son. And the result of us returning that love the result of us loving Him because He first loved us is that we begin to love others. And look, we don't have to require anything of them. We don't demand that they meet our standard. We begin to love them unconditionally. It's wonderful thinking about how salvation affects us eternally. I mean, who, who couldn't get excited thinking about, about heaven? Wow. I mean, it is so thrilling to just think about that great day when all of our troubles will be over, that great day when we'll be there in the presence of the Lord. But look, we need to consider also not just only the eternal effect that salvation has, we need to take into consideration what God's doing in our life right here and right now. Life is a wonderful gift from God. The older you get, the more you realize that. That's why I've often said I thank God every day for the gift of life and the gifts of life also and the giver of life. But the gift of just to be alive. I look back over the years and Bev and I have talked about it on you know, more than one occasion. You know, a lot of our, not only our relatives, but a lot of our Our dear friends and people that we grew up with, they're dead and they're gone. You wonder, okay, you know, why am I still here? Well, we're still here because God has a plan for each and every one of us. God has a plan for your life. And the sad thing is, as wonderful as your life ought to be, there are those that are absolutely miserable in life. They're miserable simply because of the fact that even though they might have trusted Christ as their Savior, they're not following Christ as the Lord of their life. Let me tell you, if you are miserable in life this morning, it doesn't have to be that way at all. Receiving Christ literally makes all of the difference in the world. And and, and listen, this could be your very best Christmas ever. But not only that, this could be the very beginning of the best life possible because there's nothing nothing better than the Christian life. Amen? I'm, every Christian here would tell you the same thing today. If you don't believe me after the service, go up to any Christian here in this congregation and ask them, what's the most wonderful thing that ever happened to you? And they'll tell you, it's when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Everyone agrees because when you experience that for yourself, you too will conclude there couldn't be anything more wonderful than to receive the gift that God has given. That's why Paul said to the church at Corinth, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. That, my dear friend, is the Christmas story. That God loved us and He gave His Son. Let's stand. Father, how we thank You, Lord, for loving us, even while we were yet sinners. We can't even begin to comprehend how and why you would do so. But we know that it is within your nature and your desire to, to love those that are unlovely. And we thank you so very much for that. And Lord, I pray this morning for that man or woman, maybe a boy or a girl that's here today and they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. They know a lot of the facts about you. They even sing songs about you they observe christmas that speaks about the birth of christ and yet in spite of all of those things they've never truly trusted jesus as their lord and savior and i just pray that this might be a different day in their life that this morning that you would just help them to sweep aside every excuse and lord that the holy spirit would so work in their heart and convict them of their need And bring them to that place that they would trust in your saving grace. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen.